Robin Williams once said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. As years passed, Colleen Stan may have been given more freedom by her captor, Cameron Hooker, but she couldn't have been more isolated. In a room full of people or in the dark of the box under the bed, Colleen was wholly and utterly alone, forced to endure the most unthinkable conditions for seven years before the most unlikely friend gave her the key to her freedom, the truth. I'm Marina. With me, I have my best friend, Laura, and this is Grim. thoughts the first is you are correct i was very confused before we started this recording marina was like you're going to be confused by this intro and i Mm -hmm. indeed at least the very beginning yes was um and i forget my second thought so we can keep going wow that was really deep thank you so much for your yeah cogent i'll think of it and interrupt you later perfect okay uh thank you everyone for coming back for part two of this case uh, for part two, again, like part one, I relied exclusively on the book, The Perfect Victim by Christine McGuire and Carla Norton. And for anyone who's just joining us, we're talking about the kidnapping of Colleen Stan, also known as the girl in the box. I do remember. Can I interrupt you now? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, how much willpower did it take you to not say unfathomable in that intro? Um, I may have capitalized it a few times in my notes okay. throughout. Thank you. Um, but it didn't, I don't know, it didn't come up. Unthinkable was in right. there. That's that's when I thought you could have said unfathomable. I could have. I didn't. It was a missed opportunity. And I apologize <laughs> sincerely to all of my gremlins. I have let you down. <laughs> In more ways than... Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyways, The Perfect Victim by Christine McGuire and Carla Norton. The book is so good. And if you could believe it... Um, There's even more details in the book that I didn't include. Um, As another reminder, this case is like almost toy box killer bad at times, although I think there's less of it in part two than there Mm -hmm. was in part one. But if you're triggered by kidnapping, sexual assault, torture, or claustrophobia, leave now or forever hold your peace. Laura, you may not leave. Okay. Um, Opened my mouth to speak. I saw it. (laughs) I'm like, is that joke ever going to get old? (laughs) I actually wasn't going to make that joke. I was going to reference on the Discord when we were talking about how we actually needed a trigger warning for the teeth filing Mm. from the P-Boney. Yes. So um, if you haven't listened to that one, you want to check it out or want to be part of our Discord. I promise that's not why I brought it up. Yeah. But you could do that and join our Patreon. Yeah. If you want to hear about grinding down your teeth without Novocaine, um, just (laughs) jump on there. Jump on there. Without Novocaine and with meth. And speaking of Patreon, before we get started, <laughs> what a perfect segue. <laughs> we have a Patreon shout out. Woo. Lila M. Woo, Lila. Lila, we love name. you. Woo. She's it, man. She's it this week. Damn. Well, yeah. we also did just record last week. We, we did. That's do true. Every other week, but we are trying really hard to get on top of things. Yeah. Because the unexpected Keep our schedule. Mm-hmm. I got a kid now. Uh, and as you can hear, I still have some rumblies in my not tumbly in my uh, throat box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Laura shared them with me, I think. Maybe. Well, we don't know. There's lots of kids, lots of germs. There is. But based on the longevity mm-hmm. of my symptoms and the longevity of hers, it feels that um, we are sharing the same bacteria except what about the longevity of this table that <laughs> we, are sitting, we are sitting we are sitting at least six feet apart yeah, that's for so. sure it's not covid by it's the way. not covid no i tested too i say that like our gremlins are concerned that they're going to catch it through the ear holes through, yeah <laughs> through their ear holes so many holes <laughs> so, so many, many holes, holes and, and boxes, boxes. <laughs> speaking of boxes <laughs> Okay. We just have to get the laughter out because I think, like I said last time, that this will be it. That's it. This is the last happiness that I will feel. Yeah. Part two. I I read through the notes. I don't think part two is as bad as part one, but like, it's not great. It's just, it's really, it's a really bad case. The bar is low. So yeah. All right. So let's start. When we left off, Colleen had just moved with the hookers from Oak Street to Pershing Road in April 1978, where she was to live in the box under the waterbed that Cameron had built. Mm. She had to crawl in on her hands and knees, and then Cameron could bolt the door shut over the entrance. Ugh. The box was just big enough for Colleen and her bedpan, 
and the hairdryer that had been set up outside of the box on Oak Street was now set up inside the box at Pershing, right next to Colleen's head. Oh, geez. There were a couple of air holes near the bottom of the box that allowed Colleen to see whether it was day or night, which was an improvement from before when she could only guess the time of day by temperature. Yeah. Oh, geez. Although the address had changed, Colleen's routine at first remained unchanged. She was let out of the box for just an hour a day in the evenings to eat dinner, brush her teeth, use the bathroom, clean out her bedpan, and help with chores. Every two weeks, she was allowed to shower and wash her hair. Also a, an improvement, if you can call it that. But I know. Everything yeah. is relative right, when exactly. we're discussing better in yes. this case. Yep. I say, quote, less, unquote, better. Less worse. Yes. <laughs> less terrible. On his days off, Cameron uh, would have Colleen help him with his outside chores, including building a shed that Cameron would use as a new location to hang Colleen from the rafters. Oh, God. Cameron punished Colleen, whipping her, tying her up, and burning her naked flesh with matches and Uh a heat gun, among other (gasps) things. A heat gun is so aggressive. I mean, matches are too, but a heat gun is so aggressive. Yeah. I feel like matches, you have less time because you have to like blow them out. A heat gun is, I don't like it. Yeah. Why would he want to burn his fingers? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Colleen vowed, she's such a bad bitch, she vowed that Cameron could hang her up, whip her, torture her, but she wouldn't cry in front of him anymore. She didn't want to give him the satisfaction. And I'm just like, I just gave myself chills. Like, what a badass bitch. Because I cry at like a minor inconvenience. (laughs) So if you torture me, I'm pretty sure I'm going to cry. I wish that Cameron was worse at construction than he was because Mm. he used his skills for evil rather than good. Cameron built what he called the stretcher, which was something of a medieval design. It was made of two boards nailed into a T-shape with a winch at the bottom and hooks on each end of the cross. The first time he used it, he secured Colleen onto it with cuffs hooked to the top, and her ankles were wrapped with a chain that wrapped around the winch. Cameron turned the winch that tightened the chain, stretching Colleen Uh, tighter and tighter on the cross. This is literally from the Saw movie. Yes, well, it wasn't because this was before that. But and it's also literally from medieval times. Oh, my, yeah, true. Like, oh, my they God. did the shit. Ugh. Cameron told Colleen that he was not trying to punish her. He said he was doing what he was doing because he enjoyed it. He oh. would stretch her out before raping her. Blah. Blah. He would then choke her until she would black out, wait for her to come to and then do it again. Cameron added the stretcher to his regular rotation. Just another device to torture Colleen. And on one occasion, he'd pulled it too tight for too long, and he cut off the circulation to her hands. When he let her off the stretcher, she couldn't move them initially. <gasps> I, uh, I, how do you even endure that pain? I don't know. I, and maybe that's even better if her hands went numb. Oh, true. I, I don't guess. know. I don't want to find out. No. Let's just let's just put it that way. And you may be thinking, damn, if he does that for quote unquote pleasure, what does he do for pain? Well, Cameron also punished Colleen for even the most minor indiscretions. On one occasion, she was accused of botching a macrame project. Cameron hooked her up to a frame and strapped electrical wires to her breasts and thighs. He shocked her so many times that he left permanent scars on her legs, and he only stopped because she was too sweaty for the tape to stick any longer. Oh my God. I I know. This is worse than any nightmare I've ever had. I know. It's honestly, it's honestly like saw. Yes. Yeah. It's really horrible. In the summer heat, Colleen was given two pairs of shorts and two tank tops, no underwear as per her slavery contract. Mm. Cameron continued to emphasize his control over Colleen and had her perform more drills. When Janice would leave for work, Cameron would take the girls and Colleen in the car to a long winding dirt road where he would force Colleen to get out and jog alongside the car. If she tried to stop, he threatened to beat her. And at the end of her long run, he forced her to strip naked and swim laps in a nearby pond while his freaking kids are in the car. Why? Why the exercise? I I don't it's understand. Just, it's just control. more control yeah. over her. Yeah. And uh, my family calls ponds amoeba water. So <laughs> yes. that is the most hazardous activity yes. in this in yes. this entire ordeal. Yep. Also, I'm only going to run if something's chasing me. So this mm-hmm. seems like an appropriate time in which I would run. Yes, I would run there. But I was also thinking just like adding salt to the wound when in the first episode when you said she had to get on the scale every day, I was oh, like, yeah, she's also like now everything else. Right. Yeah. Well, yes. But on top of everything else, it's like, that's rude. Yes. It's just full control. Yeah. Like it's the most, it's brainwashing down to like every cell of yeah. her body. It's yeah. insane. God. 
Colleen took the brunt of Cameron's attention that summer since Janice was pregnant with the hooker's second child. Oh, boy. In fact, since Cameron did not trust hospitals, he convinced Colleen to give birth at home in their trailer. Janice gave birth to the hooker's second daughter on the waterbed right above Colleen while she was in the box. Oh, my God. I mean, definitely not the worst thing that's happened there. No. But how do you how do you do that? I don't know. I don't I I don't know. I I I just I don't know. It's know. unfathomable, really. It's unfathomable. Really? You could try to fathom it, but you can't. I can't even think it. It's no. unthinkable too. Nope. In 1979 with the cost of living on the rise, Janice had to get a second shift job at the local fast food joint to help make the family's ends meet. When she was gone, Cameron would let Colleen out of the box to care for his children, cook dinner, and do his bidding. Colleen was in the box when Janice left for work and back in when she returned, so Janice could only imagine what went on in her absence. By late 1979, however, Colleen's treatment improved, and she was given more time out of the box for the hooker's benefit, you know, cleaning, chores, actual slave labor. I was going to say slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Janice had even asked Colleen what she wanted for a gift for her birthday that year, and at Colleen's request, she was gifted a Bible. The Bible was dated January 11th, and it was noted that it belonged to Kay Powers. Interesting. Colleen's enslavement continued to slowly evolve in 1979, and Colleen would refer to this period as her, quote, year out. Realizing that Colleen was a model slave, she was put to work in the yard and cared for the hooker's two girls. She was even allowed to bring them into town where she would mingle with other people and introduce herself as Kay. Oh, I also didn't process why the name... Oh, yes. Was Kay. Kay. It took me a second. Yes. To remind yep. everyone, she was given her slave name, Kay, right. and uh, her slave owner in the company was Michael Powers. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But so she was free walking amongst mm-hmm. people? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Neighbors and friends were told that Kay was the hooker's live-in nanny and housekeeper. Colleen was far too scared of the company to dare say anything to anyone about her situation because she knew that they were everywhere and that people were watching her. Yes, that's why I said it's horrendous, but it's Mm -hmm. brilliant because you don't need a lock. Exactly. What does she know? Exactly. What does she know if it's true or not? She has no idea. She's clearly fucked up. Mm -hmm. So again, if anyone is going to be tied into a company, it's him. And she's been hearing about this for years. And all she can think is like, if this is what he's like, what are these other people like? Oh my God. And, Mm -hmm. but it's nuts that she could just like, I wonder what the friends and neighbors thought of this nanny who hasn't showered in two weeks is probably skin and bones. Like they must've been like bad choice, but you know, but this is, 70s 80s like maybe she looked more like a hippie than anything else almost like sorry to all the hippies but maybe like a dirty (laughs) hippie you know what i'm saying like that phrase where it's like maybe you know this is a little freer back then i guess you could think that it's weird but what are you gonna do you're just gonna think it's weird you're not gonna it's not gonna be weird enough for you to call the cops or something right right exactly and Cameron took every opportunity to impart the dangers of the company onto Colleen and to inst- ensure that she continued to understand her status as a slave. Of course. So remember, she had the initial slave collar that he put on her mm-hmm. when she signed the contract. Well, that was made of a stretchy gold metallic material fastened with a gold leaf, and it began to fall apart and turn her neck green because oh, I'm assuming it wasn't it, real gold. It was not real gold, no. <laughs> did, it, did it tell her mood, too? <laughs> I bet you it was a mood ring. Uh, so Colleen needed a collar to mark her, though, so Cameron put aluminum foil around her neck, encircled it with a thin rod of stainless steel, and then proceeded to solder the steel closed. I'm sure completely protecting her and not not against her skin at all. Yeah, tinfoil. I think that's very protective. Yep. yep. This collar was actually more comfortable for Colleen, huh. but it was also permanent. However, it was also limited, even though it was permanent. Once she was out in public more often, the second collar had to be removed Uh by Cameron because it was like, "Mm." Um, and initially Cameron told Colleen that the scars on her upper thighs from the electrical torture was enough to identify her um, as a slave to the company. But then he later changed his mind in order to mark his slave for the company. Cameron took an ordinary sewing needle and pierced Colleen's right labia before (gasps) inserting a gold earring through the hole. Her labia piercing was her new slave collar. I thought you were going to say he branded her Mm -mm. and I was preparing myself for that. And then that is not what you said. Nope. That's not what I said. Oh dear. No, it was a labia hoop. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, which is better that or a branding worse. I don't know what, I don't know what word I, I want to describe it. I don't know. 
Oh. I won't make you pick. Thank you. Three years into her captivity, Colleen had fully proved her loyalty to Cameron and to the Hooker family, so much so that Colleen was rewarded. She was allowed to shower, dressed up, and went dancing at a bar with Janice with Cameron's permission. What? This is like classic Stockholm syndrome. I know. Oh my God. And I am including all of this for good reason. Oh Everything just becomes relevant. Okay. Like you just you just need to understand the full extent of of this woman's life over the seven years. So long. Colleen and Janice hit the town and went to a local bar called New Orleans. They drank beer and even met a couple of men with whom they danced and left with to go get coffee. Janice and Colleen went with them to an apartment. Janice went to a bedroom with the guy and Colleen and the other guy just sat in the living room awkwardly talking until Janice was done. Janice was trying to make Cameron jealous because Janice was jealous of the attention that Cameron gave Colleen. Oh. But Cameron didn't care. He had even told Janice that she could see other men. Okay. So that's what I was, I was shocked that she could be allowed to do that, but that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. After their evening out, Janice brought Colleen home and she went back in the box. Mm -hmm. Cameron decided to take Colleen out too. He want, he wanted a turn, but he wanted her to make some money. Him and Colleen made a trip to Reno, Nevada, where he forced her to panhandle for hours. Come on. I know. That to me is so degrading to like force someone to do that. Absolutely. Like I, I like I, I really give credit for people who have like I guess the courage to panhandle mm -hmm. because like that has to be tough. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's just picking all the worst parts of humanity and putting them on, forcing them on her. Yeah. Um, Cameron realized while she was panhandling just how well that she could follow instructions Mm -hmm. even out in the open. Mm Colleen continued to be tortured and sexually assaulted during this time, but she was allowed out of the box. Her sleeping bag was moved to the back bed bathroom, and there was a five-foot chain that was secured around her neck and to the toilet at night. Now, again, this is not great, uh, but this was an improvement from right. being kept in her tomb under the bed. Like we said, everything is relative at this point. All relative. And Colleen was even given the opportunity to go jogging. Um, on her own, a different variation from being forced to run beside sure. the hooker's car. Sure. Um, she would take the hooker's dog with her, and it felt like freedom. I was just going to say, to be away, yes. you could just pretend mm-hmm. for a little bit, you know? Yeah, wow. that you're free. Yeah. Cameron would time her to make sure that she was gone for no more than 15 minutes, how long it took her to run her mile. Um, Cameron wasn't worried she'd run away because he reminded her the company was watching. Of course. And the worst coincidence happened for Colleen. He said he was planning on going to a company meeting in Sacramento on Sunday, which is where the company was headquartered. And completely randomly, Colleen was jogging by a neighbor's house and there were two neighbors in the driveway talking about how they were going to Sacramento on Sunday. Oh my so god. So Colleen was like, oh my god, shit, they really are out like all over this oh neighborhood and god. they're watching me. Like, oh what god. are the odds of that? Yeah, and of course you would think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. She was allowed to run frequently until a neighbor had stopped her one day for a conversation. So she ended up coming home late. The hookers oh. were furious. They told her that they had put a call into the company. Like, she's so lucky they didn't catch her. And she didn't get to go jogging much after that. Oh, jeez. Colleen was a model inmate, but she was still human. Mm -hmm. The more freedom she got, the more she began to miss her family, and she began asking to see them. Initially, Cameron had told her that she'd never be allowed to make contact with them because the company wouldn't allow it. He said that she would risk putting them in danger if she even talked to them. But now that Cameron was confident that he had total control over Colleen, he began to give in a little. On three occasions, he let Colleen write to her sister with Cameron reviewing the letters in advance. No return address for obvious reasons. Colleen wrote of mundane things, saying that she was living with a family, taking care of kids, and learning to can fruit. This reminds me of Fritzl. Where oh yeah where they wrote the letters and you as the family member you get the letter and you're like damn so you really did leave you right know? exactly and, and it like really makes you not even I'm sure you still want to know where they are but yes you, you aren't searching so you're like oh they're okay right exactly oh, no. exactly That's wow so sad that was an excellent parallel thank you the the I'm amazed at myself for remembering which case and not just saying you know the one where they sent the, the letter the people yeah. yeah no that's very that's a very good point astute. It was very good. Um, Colleen was even allowed to call her family on Christmas Eve, what she considered to be a wonderful gift. Yeah. And the hookers also gave her a new sleeping bag. 
as uh, this you know what that reminds me of that reminds me of like dobby getting like a yes. dirty sock yes like just it's insane it's so surreal this whole thing because it's like she must be battling two lives almost mm-hmm. in her mind because there's the one that misses her family and wants to escape and then one is just like this is the life i'm gonna live forever you know, and how do you, how do you grapple with both of those things? I think your brain, I, I kept thinking about this while I was writing these case notes and it almost sort of reminds me of like genie, although these are very mm, different. Mm-hmm. Your brain will just mold and yeah. adapt and right. change yep. to, to, for you to survive. I mean, like that's what we have survival instincts. That's so true. our brains develop uh, our brains do things yeah our (laughs) brains do things they don't form sentences sometimes (laughs) if you're wondering what genie is by the way because that's a peabony oh so if you haven't listened it's um i did i kind of went off in left field a little bit and it's um it well i won't tell you about it but it's more like a psychological thing um about a a child who was um abused from a very young age and uh, it was a study on language processing and the brain Mm -hmm. and all that so it's I thought it was very interesting. It was very interesting. interesting. And um, you'll have to be a Patreon to go yeah. listen to that. So as hard as it is for any of us to comprehend, Cameron said that he was in love with both Colleen and Janice. Oh, sure. And he professed his love for Colleen and told her his deepest, darkest fantasies. He had a dream that his whole family would move to Lake Tahoe and that Colleen would live with them in her own private cabin. Cameron told Colleen that the gold ring in her labia was more than just a mark for the company. He said it was symbolic of a wedding ring. Oh my God. Nothing says we're married quite like a labia ring pierced with a sewing needle. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. As Cameron's love for Colleen grew, so did Janice's jealousy of Colleen, which is fucked up, but you know, human nature, I guess. Janice was starting to feel threatened. If Colleen put on makeup for herself or made something special for dinner, Janice felt like it was Colleen attempting to steal her husband's attention. Wow. Janice began nagging Cameron about letting Colleen go. Oh. Janice and Colleen were constantly fighting now, Janice picking fights out of jealousy, and Janice also felt guilty at this point. Cameron was tired of the fighting, so he told Janice that he can put Colleen back in the box, and but Janice would have to quit her job to stay home and raise the kids. Oh. This was the perfect solution for Cameron because it would get Janice off his back, but Cameron would get to keep Colleen. Right. Sure. So Janice jumped at the offer. Oh, God. In a show of mercy, he gave Colleen one last hurrah before putting her in the box. A big one at that. He decided to let her see her family. (gasps) He told Colleen that he made arrangements with the company for her to have a family visit, but she had to pass a series of tests first. One of them was making her put her mouth on the barrel of a shotgun and pull the trigger. (gasps) What? Yeah. yeah. Just, again, making sure he has complete control over her. Yeah. And also the comment, I'm a little late here, but the comment you made about um, him sharing his deepest, darkest fantasies Mm -hmm. with Colleen, that's disturbing to me that we have not already encountered his deepest, darkest fantasies. I know. It's, I don't want to know what's deeper or darker for him. There are more. No. Yeah. No, no, no. There are. Um, so before she could go to, to visit her family, mm-hmm. Colleen had to say goodbye to the hooker girls, Kathy and Dawn. She said goodbye to all the neighbors. The hookers told everyone that Colleen was going to Southern California and the neighbors were all going to miss her. She was kept in the box for a week before the trip to her parents, but the day finally came. On March 20th, 1981, Cameron and Colleen headed to Sacramento, which is where the company was headquartered. Right, right. Cameron said they had to stop at the headquarters first for an evaluation before she could be permitted to see her family. Cameron told Colleen they might take her through the company museum filled with the skeletons of runaway slaves, or there was a runaway sealed in formaldehyde like a (gasps) human pickle. This is what he told her. Oh, my God. Cameron drove to this building some building right he went inside and about 15 minutes later he came back and told her that she got off easy he said that the company didn't want to see her and that they had granted her permission to see her family again i I am including all these details to just show you how elaborate this lie was that is why my jaw is on the ground because the level of i hate to say creativity because i think detail is great yes yes and just the he must have been i bet you he basically believed it himself because the level of detail i know put together to Mm -hmm. do this 
is the commitment. How could you not believe it? I know. I know. How, you know, like after being, like you said, brainwashed for that long and all of these details coming together, how could you not believe it? I mean, and not only that, it's sort of hard for us to imagine nowadays, although obviously you have people who believe in plenty of conspiracies, but this is the 80s. This mm. is before everyone had access to the internet True. and you had the the world of information at your fingertips. Like, right. Yeah, like you said, how would she know? It's not no. true. No. Cameron and Colleen rehearsed on the way to Riverside. Cameron was quote unquote Mike, not producer Mike, just Mike, <laughs> Colleen's boyfriend, who was headed to San Diego for a computer seminar. Colleen and Mike were engaged, but they were in the process of moving, so they didn't have a permanent address or a phone number to give the family. Of course. When they finally arrived, Cameron reiterated to Colleen that if she told anyone about her situation or the company, the company would rush in, take her away, and hurt or kill whoever she was with. Oh, my God. Colleen understood. Yeah. Cameron dropped Colleen off at her family's home in Riverside on Friday night around 7 p.m. with no introduction, and she was left with her family, expecting to spend the whole weekend. Her family was excited by her homecoming, to say the least, but they were also sort of scared to talk to her. They were afraid that they would say or do something that would scare her away because they couldn't understand why she took off in the first place. And of course, what, what can she say? Right. You know, and I, mostly I think the conversation was just that she's living with a family. She was taking care of kids. Like she just couldn't call or, or write or the level of heartbreak I feel on her behalf. I know. You know, like when you, so I'm a homebody to start Mm -hmm. with, but when you walk back in your house and you just, you're like, oh, I'm home. I know. Like imagine that feeling in complete conflict with knowing you've got the company, like you think looking at you and watching and that knowing that you're going to have to leave and maybe never see them again. And it's been like four years at this point. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I'm, this is not, it's upsetting me on equal ground to all the physical and well, mental abuse, but that's just horrific. It's unfathomable, it's really. unfathomable. Really. The family spent Friday night reminiscing with Colleen and mm-hmm. spending their time together until they all couldn't stay up any longer, and then they went to bed. Colleen was up early on Saturday morning and walked to her mother's house just a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. Colleen went to church with her sister and mother, oh. then drove to visit her aunt, uncle, and some cousins. The day passed quickly, and when Colleen and her sister arrived back to her father's house, Colleen was disappointed, to say the least, when she received a call from Cameron saying that he would be there soon and get ready to leave. gosh. Colleen felt robbed since she was promised a weekend, but given only about 24 hours. Cameron arrived to the Martin home, and this time he came in and was introduced as Mike. Oh, my God. While Mike was there, one of Colleen's family members insisted they get a photo of the couple, which was taken on the couch. And that will definitely be on the Instagram because it's unfathomable. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Mike then said that they had to make the long drive back home and Colleen hugged her family goodbye. Colleen had promised to say goodbye to her mother as well before she left and Cameron allowed it. Oh, wow. At around 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, Colleen quickly said her goodbyes to her mother, fighting back the urge to tell her mother everything. Of course. And then they were gone. Oh, this is just so upsetting. I know. It's like, it's bad enough to be, obviously, to be kidnapped in the first place. But to like anticipate, you're almost being kidnapped again. I know. But like, you know, and it's there's nothing and that you powerless. can do about it. It's almost, it's like her feeling of, I should have, when they stopped at the gas station. Oh, right. Like, I should have not, you yes. know, I, I something's like, wrong. Get away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mm-hmm. hate it. I hate it. Colleen's visit to her family was like the finale to her quote year out Mm. in 1980 to 1981. And once her and Cameron returned home to Red Bluff, Colleen basically spent the next three years in the box. Oh my God. She was in the box so frequently that relatives, neighbors, and the hooker children didn't see her again until 1984. Oh my God. Colleen was even left to bake in the box in the searing summer (gasps) heat. One weekend, Cameron and Janice left for the whole weekend and left Colleen with no food or water for three days. I can't believe she physically survived that. I know. When Cameron and Janice came home and let her out, she could barely stand and she right. was delirious. Right. Thankfully, Cameron and Janice learned their lesson and left her with a quart of water and a dozen chocolate chip cookies the next time they left. Really? Now, as much as I love a good cookie, right. I'd be like, please give me a vegetable. I'm going to get scurvy. Or anything. Yeah. I anything know. that's going to give me some Substantive, nutrition. yes. As an aside, that made me think of um oh, let's see if you've seen this on netflix the society of the snow no it's, i saw the i saw it but i saw that yeah 
picture for it. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, about the plane crash in the, was it the Andes? I think. I don't know. Cause I haven't yeah. seen it. Oh, that's true. Fair. <laughs> um, but about like how much a human can survive, what they can oh, survive right. on and all that is, mm-hmm. that was also a very disturbing documentary if you want to watch it, but very well done. So, I mean, I'm, I obviously need more disturbing things in my life, so <laughs> I'll get right on that. <laughs> Despite the unfathomable conditions and the time frame of her imprisonment, Colleen was again a model slave and she endured her conditions with little emotion because she was helpless and hopeless. At night, she would put her ear to the small hole in the box to hear the quiet sounds of trucks and cars as they passed by in the distance. She could see the small prick of daylight through the hole as well when the morning dawned. I see why this reminds you of Jeannie because that was like her window. Mm -hmm. Yep. Despite her godly restraint and resilience, Colleen was still human. And one day when Cameron was at work and Janice was in the hospital for a knee surgery, Colleen lost her shit and she began flailing and kicking the box. She kicked the bottom so hard that it just popped off (gasps) when the screws came loose from the particle board. Colleen saw what she had done and rather than celebrate and escape, she panicked. She panicked because she had broken the box and she didn't want to be punished. And she knew that there was nowhere that she could go because the company was everywhere oh, and they would find her. My God. So she stayed. Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense because she was literally out in town, which mm-hmm. would have been arguably an easier escape. Right. And she couldn't. Nope. Oh, my God. And life just went on around Colleen. Janice and Cameron lived their lives and had the most fucking bizarre marriage. Janice loved Cameron, but she didn't like bondage. And yet, other than the head box, electrical wires, and heat gun, Cameron used everything on Janice that he used on Colleen. He hung her, whipped her, really? tied her up, blindfolded her, gagged her, put her on the stretcher, forced her into that god-awful gas mask, what? and dunked her to drowning. Um, in 1982, during Colleen's three-year stint, Cameron and Janice sat down and they engaged in a bonding exercise, airing all of their dirty laundry. It's like Kama Sutra. Mm-hmm. Janice confessed to lying about being pregnant to get Cameron to marry her, as well as having two affairs. Cameron confessed having sex with Colleen while she was in bondage. The couple began to heal and began bonding further by reading the Bible together. Different kind of bonding, but mm-hmm. yes. Yes, yes, not bondage bonding, right. actual bonding. <laughs> Cameron felt that him and God were in agreement that women were slaves to men. Cameron encouraged Janice to read the Bible, and by the end of 1983, Janice and Colleen would read the Bible together and pray during the day while the kids were at school and Cameron was at work. So fucked up. Colleen clung to faith as a means to escape her reality, while Cameron used her faith as a means to further enslave her. Mm. Also during this three-year period of captivity, Cameron was planning more sinister construction projects. When the hookers had first arrived to their new home, Cameron built a small shed in the backyard and then a second shed abutting the first one with a common wall. But the shed wasn't exciting enough for Cameron. He wanted a dungeon. Of course he did. Cameron knew his daughters were getting older, so the dungeon would allow him to practice his bondage freely without getting caught by his children. You know, he could just think of that. Yeah, you could just leave the whips and chains lying out in the frames, you know. And no better way to build a dungeon than to use a slave to do so. Right. At night, under the cover of darkness, Cameron would bring Colleen out of the box and force her to dig dirt from under the shed. Colleen dug this hole so deep on her own that Cameron had to rig up a pulley system for buckets of dirt. This is also very Fritzel-like, you're right. Yeah, and it's it's literally like um, digging your own grave, mm-hmm. it must have felt like. Cameron made Colleen work two to three nights a week for months until he was satisfied with the room. Also, I guess it makes sense that he would do it under the sheds, not the house, because that would be a little sketchy to do it under the house. But it didn't really occur to me where that was going to be. I I don't know. I guess I kind of thought that it would be more Fritzel-like in that it would be an extension off of something that already was underground. Mm. It's kind of crazy to me that she just dug underground. I also come from the granite state where Mm. you literally can't do that. Because there's just rocks. Well, you can't do that in Connecticut yeah. either because there's also rocks. Yes. Yes. Yep. Very big ones. <laughs> so once the structure of the dungeon was built, they needed to build the floor and the walls with cement bricks. Cameron made the bricks himself with a cement mixer he borrowed from his dad. The bricks had to set for 24 hours and he could only make 10 at a time. Oh my God. So Cameron was really committed to this project, Seriously. which shouldn't be surprising to anybody no. at this point. Nope. 
Once all the bricks were made, Cameron and Colleen carried them all down in the hole and laid the floor and the walls themselves. On the north side of the dungeon, Cameron left two small windows about 18 inches wide and 24 inches tall with the hopes that he would later be able to expand his dungeon. He told Colleen that he wanted to bring in more slaves and that it would be Colleen's job to train them and prepare the dungeon for them. Cameron confided in Colleen that he was hoping for at least four more slaves, some of whom might bear his children. Ugh. Colleen was horrified, obviously, as was Janice, and the two prayed together constantly that Cameron's plans would fail. With the structure complete, Cameron added on extras to the dungeon, of course. Mm -hmm. He added a hook to the ceiling beam for hanging and installed a drain for a future shower. By November 1983, Cameron had added electricity and a ventilation system, so the dungeon was ready for a trial run. Not only would it be room for Cameron to practice bondage, but it was a convenient place for Cameron to keep his slave. You know, we talked about this, I I think in any, um, maybe it was the, um, what was the bulldozer one that, that, uh, Colby did anyway, the bulldozer one. I don't know. Um, that was Meyer, Marvin, Marvin, there was a better Meyer, the killdozer killdozer. Yeah. Okay. I was like, it wasn't just bulldozer. Yeah. But we were saying like, with all of your skill, apply it to something else. I know. Same thing with this. Stop applying it to that. Go apply it somewhere else. I know. And then my second angry thought is, Janice, you don't have to fucking pray. Go, go make it end. Go do something. You have the power yes. to do this. But, uh, you know, She's honestly. She's the power. <laughs> well, uh, 30 something minutes. Okay. Okay. You made we it. We did good. Yeah. But same, honestly, same issue as Colleen. Like she's brainwashed us in a different yes. way. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, I'm still angry. Cameron gave Colleen clothes before bringing her out to the shed and telling her to climb down into the dungeon, which could be accessed by moving a heavy board covering the access hole in the shed. Cameron handed Colleen a Bible and a radio and bid her adieu. His final instruction was that if anyone found her, that she was to tell them that she wanted to be there because it made her feel closer to God. Wrong direction. Yeah. But again, just using her faith as a means to further enslave her. Yeah. Although probably one of the most believable lies because i know people go like into retreats like onto retreats my only other thought on the dungeon is that if she were there for a while and i don't know what duration she's going to be there but it at least is more the temperature would be more comfortable because it's underground so it would be more consistent except in the winter i did not think about that i mean they're in california so it's not like our winters but right yes would be more comfortable. But so she had a she had a portable toilet and she had a lounge chair with the sleeping bag that she'd received as a Christmas gift in 1980. Okay. And again, as impossible as this might seem, this underground dungeon was an improvement for, for Colleen. Sure. Yeah. She could move around, crochet, listen to Christian radio. Her freedom unfortunately lasted only about a week before they hit a snafu. Janice forgot to put the board back over the entrance after bringing Colleen something and the hooker girls and their cousin (gasps) were in that area and may have seen her. (gasps) So they put Colleen back into the box until they were sure that no one was aware of their prisoner. And when nothing, nobody said anything, nothing happened. They returned her to the dungeon one to two weeks later, which was fine until the winter rain came. There you go. Once winter hit, the dungeon started to and continued to flood. (gasps) Yikes. Despite their best efforts using a water pump and bailing the water out with buckets, it was a losing battle and Colleen was put back in the box. And 1983 came to an end. But the new year would bring an end to Colleen's three-year imprisonment. On New Year's Eve in 1983, the hookers took Colleen out of the box, sang happy birthday, and let her eat cake. And in fact, 1984 proved to be better for Colleen than her year out, which again, let's keep in mind, it's yeah, all relative. Right. But in 1984, Colleen was again allowed to stay out for several hours at night. She was allowed to make herself something to eat, and then she would read or write poetry in the bathroom. Cameron even gave Colleen a reprieve on the abuse and began turning his attention to Janice. Interesting. He used to only hang Janice up once a month, but he was up to about six times a month now. How romantic. Hmm. Cameron had said he mistreated Colleen based on company orders, uh, but his mistreatment of Janice was in order to save her soul. He told her that she was possessed and that punishing her was the only way to get the devil out. Oh my God. With more time out of the box, Janice and Colleen's friendship began to deepen, a friendship that had been born out of their prayer sessions. Sure. Janice and Colleen realized that they had more in common than just Cameron. Both women were high school dropouts and married at a young age. They also bonded over their mutual love for the hooker children, Kathy and Dawn, and they both agreed they were terrified to upset Cameron. 
I, that was an element we didn't really talk too much about was just like if Colleen was, when Colleen was taking care of the children, that must've been really hard because they're children. They're not, they have nothing to do with any of this Mm -hmm. and just that, that innocence, but then knowing that those children came from Cameron and Janice and I know like that also would break my heart. I think overall though, they were fully insulated from this. Oh yeah. I think they truly believed that she was the nanny and like there was no issue. Which is just heart-wrenching i know and just confusing well yeah and then she disappeared according like from their perspective right crazy in the first few months of 1984 colleen was integrated back into the hooker's world she was fed regularly and increased her weight from 100 pounds to 120 oh my gosh she was allowed to sleep in the sleeping bag on the living room floor she went back to babysitting the girls and the hookers told family and friends that Kay had returned from southern california wow the hookers would just say, oh, look who's back. The change back of- again. You know you had to. <laughs> Thank you. I'm okay. so proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> the change of pace was good for Colleen, but the hookers were not just doing it for Colleen's benefit. Colleen had proven herself to be loyal, hardworking, and unshakable. I think I've said these words a million times because it's so true. So the hookers decided it was time for Colleen to get a job and contribute to their household oh expenses. God. In May of 1984, seven years after Colleen was abducted, she went out with Janice and got a job as a maid at King's Lodge, a local motel. So if you're ever having a bad day at work, just think to yourself, thank God I'm not also a fucking prisoner. Right. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Her checks went to Cameron. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Colleen told her boss at first that Janice was her sister, but then she later said that they were actually just very good friends that were like sisters. She told her boss they stayed up together and they crocheted tissue box covers. They were called, they're called strawberry dolls. Do you remember them? Like those, those oh, pink. Oh, I definitely remember. Yes, those yep. pink things that Absolutely. went over tissue boxes. And Absolutely. it also makes me think of that progressive commercial where they were like, just remember, tissue boxes do not need covers yes. because they're already in a box. Is that the parent, the coaching? <laughs> yes. To yeah. not be like your parents. Those are probably my favorite set of commercials. Yes. Ever. They're so good. So good. Um, and Colleen's boss actually bought some of the tissue box covers oh from gosh. her. And just like always, Colleen was a model worker. And now Colleen was known at her job as Kay. Oh, yeah. Her sure. slave name. Okay. Um, sometimes Janice brought her to work, but most times she rode three and a half miles into town on Janice's bike. Which three and a half miles on a bike is not like... No, that's fine. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, unless it's uphill both, both ways. ways. <laughs> Colleen even made friends with her coworkers. One night, one of her colleagues, Lenora, stopped by the hooker trailer on a whim to see if Colleen wanted to go out with her and her husband. Colleen went inside and seemingly asked permission and was allowed to go. Oh, my God. Lenora found Cameron weird when she went inside to meet him. The three went to a popular after-hours bar in town and each had a drink before returning home. Lenora described Colleen, whom she knew as Kay, as uh-huh. meek with no opinions. Oh, my she God. She said that the only thing Colleen seemed to feel strongly about was religion, as if it was the only thing that really meant anything to her. Well, yeah. 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 This is still like when she saw her family. Like, how do you kind of rationalize that you are like you're maybe kind of trying to enjoy your life as it as it happens to be. You're trying to make friends with coworkers and all that, but you're but you're like, it's like you've cast away your old life, but not by your own choice. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine the mental, the mental strain. And you're living in, in a the box. eternal words of Robin Williams. You're surrounded by people, yeah. but completely alone. Yes. And actually, I see why you said that. I thought you were mm-hmm. being a little facetious with it around no. like being around Colleen and Janice. And now I see exactly oh, why yeah. you said no, it. No, she was literally in rooms full of people. That's so heartbreaking. And lying about her existence, basically. Oh, gosh. Yeah. With her freedom, Colleen and Janice had joined a local church and went religiously on Sundays, pun intended. Mm -hmm. And religion did mean a lot to Colleen and Janice, obviously, Mm -hmm. which is why Cameron began stressing it again for his own purposes. Cameron brought up the biblical story of Sarah and Hagar, in which Sarah, the wife of Abram, who was apparently infertile, told Abram to lay with their maidservant, Hagar, so that uh, she may bear his children. Mm. Cameron told Janice that this was like biblical times. He said, just accept Kay as my slave wife because I'm going to sleep with her whether you like it Mm. or not. Janice was so torn on this now because of her religion and she prayed on it. But Cameron was impatient, so he went to Colleen and started telling her that Colleen needed sex and that God told 
Cameron, it was his job to fulfill that need. Come on. Colleen had got one and a half years free from Cameron's sexual fantasies at this point. Really? I, yes, because he had turned all of his attention oh. towards towards Janice during that time. Wow. But then they began again. And at one point, he forced Janice and Colleen into bed at the same time and ordered that they entertain him with lesbian acts. Oh, come on. And after considerable effort, Cameron succeeded in having both women in the bed with him at the same time. Oh, piece of shit. Colleen and Janice were really bonded friends at this point. Mm. When Janice came down with the flu, Colleen took off work to take care of her, which confused her boss. She was like, why can't her husband do it? Colleen took over Janice's responsibilities while she recovered, caring for the kids, taking care of chores, and bringing Janice food and drinks. When Janice recovered, she brought Colleen roses and wrote a card that said, Hager, I love you, and signed (gasps) it Sarah. Oh, my God. Oh, that gave me chills. So sad. The closer Janice got to Colleen, the more torn she felt about their whole situation. You fucking think? I mean, I know, I know. Took There's you long a lot. Enough. I know. There's yeah. so much going on there, but There's still. a lot of psychology at play yes, in this yeah, episode. Yeah. Janice and Colleen were best friends, and Janice felt awful lying to Colleen about the company and a slave network. Oh, right. I forgot. She, mm-hmm. that's a huge element of this. I completely forgot because I was thinking the only way for her to get out and like understand and get her freedom is for her to actually escape. Mm-hmm. I forgot completely mm-hmm. that Janice knew. Yeah. Oh. Janice talked to her pastor about her struggles, although I think she was using like hypotheticals and very broad brush strokes yeah. in the beginning here. And her pastor told her things that were in contradiction to what Cameron said about the Bible, if you if you could imagine. Right. And worst of all, um, Cameron was getting back on the topic of getting more slaves. Mm -hmm. And he also wanted to better distribute himself between Colleen and Janice. uh, Cameron had a new plan that he called the alternate night system, which this was stressing Janice out now because now she's getting super religious. And it's like man and man and wife. Like that is very biblical. Um, Cameron wanted to sleep with one of the girls for two nights and then the other for the other two nights. And then he would just pick one for the remaining three rinse and repeat. Cameron was trying to pose this as a win-win, like think of how much freedom you'll have when it isn't your night. And Janice didn't care what Cameron said about the Bible anymore at this point. She just knew that this was sinful and wrong. It just felt wrong to her. Okay, good. Yep. She confided in Colleen that she was thinking about leaving, but Colleen begged her not to go. Well, fair. Yeah. She said she was afraid of Cameron and that they couldn't leave because the company would find them and torture them. Oh, man. And every time Colleen brought up the company, like it just tore Janice's heart yeah. out because she she was genuinely friends with her at this yeah. point. Yeah. By July 1984, Janice was at the end of her rope. She didn't know what to do. She asked Cameron to kill her to end her (gasps) inner torment, but he refused. Janice began seeking more help at church. She confided in a couple there, asking hypothetical questions about relationships and love. She then spoke to her pastor again, and the pastor confirmed Janice's fears that the love triangle in their home was sinful and that they needed to change. Janice's guilt and torment boiled over on August 9th, 1984. She knew what she had to do. She drove to Colleen's work at King's Lodge around 11.30 a.m. Janice asked the manager to speak to Kay and was given permission to find Colleen at work in one of the rooms in the main building. Janice interrupted Colleen's shift with a bombshell. She told Colleen that Cameron lied about everything. The company, the slavery contract, everything he told her was a lie. I am in total goosebumps right now. She told Colleen that everything he told her was to get her to stay his slave. Colleen crumbled to the ground and began crying. Janice was crying too and told Colleen that she hoped she could find it in her heart to forgive her. Uh And the two women held each other and cried on the floor of the motel. I am relieved that Colleen believed her. I I was really worried she would think like, oh, this was a test or... You know, like just that it was a lie to try to get rid of her or something like that. I'm so, I mean, this is still sad, but I'm glad she believed her. I think probably because she trusted Janice at this point. Like Janice was now her friend. You're right, you're right, yeah. And as much as Janice was part of this whole scheme, it rarely, rarely was she involved truly. I mean, like sometimes she was on the side or like when she was first kidnapped, like she was there but I think she was far enough on the periphery that when the tides changed and Janice yep. was friends with her, I think 
and and Colleen obviously must have been desperate for friendship, right? Like any sort of connection. So. And she, I think she could see what Cameron did to Janice too. Mm-hmm. So clearly, it wasn't that Janice was just living a perfect life, right? You know, right? Janice yeah. was afraid of him too. Yep. Well, yep. and Janice could confirm. You know, he told her lies about Janice too, and the company. Remember, he, oh. you know, he said he picked her up at that rented dungeon, and that yeah. like she had escaped oh, and was marked for right. death, and that's he right. saved her. That's so right. she can confirm that's all bullshit. Yep. Yep. Colleen finally realized after all of these years that she could get away. Oh my God. And Janice and Colleen decided to speak to their pastor as to how best to navigate the situation. So Colleen, being the stand-up person she did, goes to her manager and tells her that she's sorry, but she has to quit. Oh my gosh. The manager didn't press her for details as she was obviously distressed, but she asked that she finish her day. So Colleen did. She went back to work making beds and cleaning bathrooms, crying hysterically the entire time. I can't even handle like clearing out my inbox before vacation. Right. Oh my God. I'm I'm like not even why I'm making a joke, but that's insane. I know. know. Like how, how, like your, you don't even have words like her brain. I wonder if there was something, I'm sure she wasn't thinking this way consciously, but Mm -hmm. I wonder if there was something that like. Maybe that gave her time to process, you know, like maybe oh, that, yeah. no, like, I'm sure she didn't think that, right. but I wonder if it just allowed her to like, like let it sink in mm-hmm. and almost like come to yeah. terms with this news, this right. bombshell. Maybe. Right. I don't know. Just insane. While Colleen finished her shift, Janice made an afternoon appointment with their pastor. Colleen and Janice, a distressed pair, went in and dropped the bombshell on the pastor that Colleen had been held against her will for years and that the two had been subjected to Cameron's sexual assaults. This guy must have been like, what the fuck? Of all people to sell that to? Oh, my God. He's like, "Uh, Cameron must be Beelzebub himself. Right. Can you imagine? Confirmed. This is sinful. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. And I think you need an exorcism in that house. Seriously. You need to get rid of Pazuzu. Yeah. (laughs) Also a Peabony. Get on it. Both women were terrified of Cameron, and the pastor told them to go home, pack up, and leave immediately. Good. Yes. But Cameron would be home soon, and they wouldn't have enough time. So they changed their plan. Their plan was to pick up Cameron, act normal all night, and then leave the next day. And that's what they did. But can you imagine how long that night felt? I also... Okay. How can you just live with that information? What, aside from the children, which I'm curious about... Mm-hmm. What do you need to pack up? Because you can get it after he's arrested and rotting in jail. Mm-hmm. D- just, just leave. I know. Because I, I would be so afraid that something would happen. It brought me back to Dane Cook, where he was like, "I just, she has my CDs. <laughs> I need to get my CDs." <laughs> I hope this is the target audience for old Dane Cook references, I, and I'm pretty sure it is. I think that it is. <laughs> um, yes. I don't know what they had to pack, but they needed to pack it. Yeah. When Cameron left for work at 5 a.m., Janice and Colleen sent the children to Bible school. Okay. Yep. They packed up all their lives by noon. They picked up the girls and then went to Janice's parents' home. Also, I'm going to guess some of it was like getting the stuff to keep for the girls. Like that's clothing them. And yeah, you'd want that. Um, And Janice's parents lived in a nearby town of Gerber. Mm. Maybe the Gerber baby. Maybe, baby. Mm. I didn't I didn't go into that. I had enough I had enough detail on Colleen oh. to not research the history of the town of Gerber. That's correct. However, you owe us a moss update. You you owe us a moss update. I did. What did I say? I don't remember. But okay. I just remember you saying part two you'd have a moss update. So I guess I guess we'll All right. Well, you know what? I'm pushing it on to part three. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's a part three. God damn it, Laura, don't call me on my shit. I don't remember what I say. Um, and the question for these women now was now what? Right. Right. Janice and Colleen talked about getting a place together and building a stable life for the girls, which sounded good to Colleen as she loved the children. But Colleen said a voice in the back of her head told her that she had to go and that Janice had to make it on her own. Run, get away. Yeah. So Colleen called her father who hadn't seen or heard from her since she returned home for the quick visit in March, 1981. Right. And he asked him to, and she asked him to wire her a hundred dollars for bus fare. He was stunned, but so happy to hear from her. And he was like, are you sure you only need a hundred? I'll right. send you however much oh you need. Oh my God. 
So by the next morning, Colleen had her bus ticket in hand. And right before she was about to board, she called Cameron and said, I just wanted to tell you that I'm leaving, that I know you lied about everything and you can't keep me here anymore. Hell yeah, girl. Colleen, Colleen doesn't remember what Cameron said, but she does remember that he cried. Good. Uh, why, why not the police? Why was that not? Why was that not a stop uh, along the way? Mm, both women were finally free, but neither of them went to the police. It was that your next sentence? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure was. <laughs> we do we do think about things similar. Mm-hmm. Yep. When Colleen returned home over the course of a few days, she explained her whole ordeal to her confused family. Oh gosh. She moved in with her father and began looking for work. She found a job working in the housekeeping department of a local hospital. All the while, she was struggling to find out who the real Colleen Stan was at this point, not even knowing herself. Uh, Can you, do you remember how old she was when she was first kidnapped? She was under 21. It was 1977. Oh yeah, she had turned 21. Mm -hmm. Wow. So she, that's insane. Those are such, I mean, they're. I think she was 20. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, you can't imagine any of this. It's unimaginable. There's another one. Yeah. But during that time in your life, that much of your that's almost a third of your life and that's also when you develop the most into the adult that you're going to become oh my god like and i'm surprised that she wasn't terrified that he would come after her because she knew or he knew where she lived mm -hmm. and i I mean it's a pretty strong guess that she would go home right wow yeah i know and her family urged her to go to the police well good they really wanted her to report this to the authorities yeah but colleen She just wanted to put it all behind her. Okay, sure. Like, she just wanted to have her own life now. Wow. Cameron went on with his life, a threat to women everywhere. Yeah. And Janice was only staying several miles away from Cameron. And Cameron wanted Janice to come home. No, no, no. He promised he would change and do whatever she wanted. So Janice wavered and returned home with the girls. I mean, that's where good for Colleen for knowing that she had to be separated from her. But still, that's very, very bad for Janice. Mm -hmm. Cameron began going to church and he met with Janice and the pastor who advised him to destroy his sexual paraphernalia and go to counseling. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this pastor Mm -hmm. who heard all these details and didn't go to the fucking police and then now meets Cameron with Janice Mm -hmm. and... If you witnessed this, would you not wonder if they killed Colleen? Because I think I would. I I know that Colleen's alive. I'm saying if I'm the pastor and Janice and Colleen came in and said, I have this maniac who's kept us, kept Colleen for a slave for seven years. And now Cameron and Janice come back sans Colleen. Hmm. I I might have some doubts. You think? I might have some. I might pray on it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I might pray on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Cameron did not destroy his sexual paraphernalia, no, no, no. nor did he start going to counseling. Um, Janice started to feel like she'd been lied to. <laughs> See, oh, this Janice. is like, come on, Janice. Come on now. Come on now. You got away. But that's oh. a whole nother psychology. We yeah, won't, we won't yeah. dive into that. One night in September 1984, Janice said that Cameron seemed so stressed out and she felt like he was about to do something terrible. She had an idea and she said, why don't we get up and burn everything? Great idea. Mm -hmm. At first, Cameron was hesitant, but he said he guessed he wanted to get rid of the stuff as their pastor had suggested. They burned it all. The pornography, the bondage equipment, the magazines, the whips, the gas mask, the slavery contract, the photos of Colleen being bound and hung. All of the items were thrown into a burn barrel in the backyard and with one strike of a match went up in smoke. All of the evidence... You might say. One might call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Colleen and Janice kept in touch over the next several weeks, (gasps) which Janice was Colleen's only friend for the past seven years. And Colleen just must have felt so isolated and alone, even with being with her family. Like, her family couldn't, like, they would never be able to fully. Yes. They could not fathom her situation. So it's got to be like a bonding thing. Yeah. But how fucked up i know that you're like trying to to move on yeah think about this life Mm -hmm. but then your friend is there and then oh my god it's this is insane yep they touched base on an almost daily basis wow so you have phone calls going between the martin home i can only imagine what what i wonder what colleen thought about janice being back with cameron and I wonder if she tried to encourage her to leave. And oh my God. Well, I mean, Colleen also took this opportunity to speak to Cameron on the phone sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes 
Um, sometimes Janice and Cameron were on the phone together. They used it as an opportunity to confirm that Colleen had no plans to go to the police. You know, they wanted to make oh, sure that their family was sure. safe. Um, but there was also, you know, Janice told Colleen that Cameron said he was going to change and they owed him that chance is what Janice told them. Right. But Cameron also called Colleen on one occasion by himself and he asked her how to make a tuna sandwich. Stop. Like the codependence. I just this is so insane. Again, it's like a it's like a situation like none of us can put ourselves in their shoes. I can't I love analogies and I can't even come up with an analogy. There's no analogy. No. The situation does not exist in any parallel. Wow. So I actually do not think that Colleen was encouraging Janice to leave no. him because I think it was like, I got away, I'm free, but like they were her life for seven years. I think Colleen was just like unable to rid herself fully of like the influence wow. that yeah. that they had over her life. It's just crazy. Yeah. Janice's hope for change from Cameron dwindled with each passing mm-hmm. day. Although the whipping and abuse had stopped, Cameron wasn't making any effort to change who he was. Cameron told Janice he read in an article that his issue was a hormonal imbalance and the cure was to drink one beer every night, which that's my kind of cure. I definitely am hormonally imbalanced (laughs) and a glass of wine will do it. Yep. Yep. That'll do it. Janice, she was just struggling with life at this point. She stopped eating. She couldn't sleep. She began having panic attacks. She couldn't quell the fear that Cameron would kidnap someone new and that this whole thing would start over again. There was also an insinuation that Colleen might have mentioned returning to Red Bluff. Oh, like Cameron said that or Colleen mentioned it? I'm not sure, Mm. but it just was, you know. A threat. Yes, it was discussed. Um, In the fall of 1984, Janice finally left for good with Kathy and Dawn, the children. Oh, good. Janice still reaching for olive branches wherever she could. She made a friend in the receptionist at her doctor's office, Mm. Connie. Connie was probably like, good morning, Mrs. Hooker. How's your day? And Janice was like, my husband kidnapped a sex slave for seven years. (laughs) Connie's probably like, um, so did you want to come back in six months? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Connie could tell by the conversation that Janice was essentially crying out for help. Um, so on November 7th, 1984, Janice confided in Connie about this whole situation. Again, the people who are absorbing this information just must be like, this can't be real life. Connie told Janice that she needed to go to the police and get real counseling for herself. Yes. Yes. Um, Janice told Connie that she was afraid if she went to the police that Cameron would want to get even and would make Janice an accomplice and then Janice would lose her children. That's a fair concern, actually. fair concern. And Connie very brilliantly used that logic and explained to Janice that if she truly cared for her girls and was afraid of losing them, that she needed to recognize that Cameron was a threat to them right now. Yes. Oh, goosebumps again. Mm -hmm. And that's when it clicked for Janice. She headed to church again to confide in her pastor. They spoke for hours. Mm. When she was done with Janice's permission, the pastor called the police. I, I'm still peeved that he didn't in the first place. I know. But I'm glad we've arrived there. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I think telling them all about like the the fact that they were basically assaulted by Cameron for years together. And kidnapped kidnapped but i Mm -hmm. i wonder i i'm sure we're we're obviously getting it third fourth hand at Mm -hmm. this point but i wonder if it wasn't i wonder if he if the pastor thought that if they didn't tell him all the details like if they kind of alluded to it because remember they're brainwashed so maybe they didn't even say that she was kidnapped I don't know. So and some of these yeah. are my, some of this is my interpretation. Right, so right. maybe they, yeah. maybe they were just like, we need to get away. Yeah. We've been assaulted. Like, which would be a whole in separate this thing. Love triangle. Right. Either way, maybe you'd want to like yeah. follow up on the situation. Yeah. I don't like it. But we're there. We got there. Yes. The police have been called. Police detective Al Shamblin was dispatched to the church. Verging on hysteria, Janice told Detective Shamlin about how Cameron kidnapped Colleen in 1977 and enslaved her for seven years. She also detailed the kidnapping and murder of another young girl (gasps) that had occurred one year before (gasps) Colleen was kidnapped. And we will talk more about that murder and Cameron Hooker's arrest and trial in part three of this Uh, unfathomable saga. I almost hit the table and then realized how loud that was going to be. It would have been very loud. I... 
did not see that coming because I knew your part three was going to be about trial. So I knew we eventually got to the police, but that is all I knew. But it's an infomercial. But wait, there's more. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. and I, I, especially with everything you've laid out, I am intrigued. At, I can see why you did a whole part on the trial because Ooh, I'm, I can't wait. And I love, love, We you said it's going to be a whole episode of Marina's Legal Corner mm-hmm. and I can't wait. Yeah. The strategy for the trial, like all, Ooh. it's so fascinating and the way that the book was written again i really cannot i so um the one of the authors of the book is the prosecutor for the case (gasps) so good so good and the way that the book is written it's written in chunks where like a few chapters are about like her putting the case together and the information that they had and then it would like go back to to colleen's captivity it was written incredibly guys so a perfect the perfect victim highly recommended um that was wow all the information for part two. There will be a part three, and we will oh. talk about that in two weeks because we're back to our regularly scheduled Woo-hoo. program, if you didn't know. So if you're enjoying listening to Grimm, please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make our day by leaving us a written review. Thank you. You can find our page on Facebook by searching Grimm, colon, a true crime podcast. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon and listen to all the awesome P-Bonies we've talked about this episode, you can go to Patreon and search Grim colon a true crime podcast also sorry if the word p-bony offends you but um laura made it fetch and it's never going away <laughs> follow us on instagram at Grim crime podcast for information on future episodes and case photos if you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com listen learn and stay alive until next time because the future is grim grim